This is the State of Tel Aviv and Beyond, the podcast that brings you the straight-up, unfiltered story. What's really going down in Israel? Politics, economics, religion and state, lots of conflict. I'm your host, Vivian Berkovich, former Canadian ambassador to Israel. We're on the street with the folks who live here and have skin in the game. Yalla, let's dive in. Welcome. This week, we bring new meaning to the state of Tel Aviv and beyond, and go really beyond to take a special look at wartime life and art in Ukraine, where I spent the last week of February. But first, I must mention that we are recording this episode on Thursday, March 9, the second day of disruption in Israel, a mass protest over the Netanyahu government's so-called judicial reforms. Everything about this legislation, the substance, the manner in which it is being rammed through the Knesset, and the outcome if it is passed, is raw. It's not about reforming the judicial system. It is about stripping the Israeli Supreme Court of any and all power to judicially review or strike down any law passed by the Knesset. And it gives the barest majority of the Knesset authoritarian power to pass any law with no possibility of it being reviewed. They could pass a law saying that there will be elections every 10 years and it would stand. Even Simcha Rotman, the chair of the Constitutional Law and Justice Committee, agreed that that would be the case. Trust us, he says. No, I say. That is not democracy. That is why today, I, along with hundreds of thousands of Israelis, will attend demonstrations to protest what in effect is a soft coup that would destroy liberal democracy in Israel. This is one of those moments when you stand up to be counted. As do most Israelis, I agree that judicial reform is necessary, but this is something much, much different. As you might imagine, living in Israel at the moment is even more intense than usual. So I thought that a diversion, an episode focusing on wartime art and resistance in Ukraine, where I spent the last week in February, might lighten things up. Okay, so let's get down to it. I traveled to Ukraine with my cousin, Julian Milkis, Odessa-born and Leningrad-raised, who moved to Toronto with his family in the early 70s as a teenager. A few years later, he was in New York City honing his craft and has, in the decades since, established himself as one of the preeminent clarinetists in the world. He lives out of a suitcase, but his heart is in Odessa, especially now. Julian was invited to return for the one-year anniversary of the Russian attack on Ukraine to perform with a number of orchestras. When he told me about his trip and said, can you come? I didn't hesitate. I'll be sharing more about Julian and our personal family connection to Odessa in an upcoming episode. Today, we're going to focus on life and art in wartime. This episode is a conversation with the brilliant sculptor and yet another native Odessan, Mikhail Reva. And I know that Misha was perhaps more surprised than I was by the issues that came up. Julian and I arrived in Odessa very early in the morning on February 23rd. February 24th marked the one-year anniversary of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, a date which many within the country anticipated with dread and intense pride. The expectation was widespread that Russia was planning a fresh assault, possibly targeting Odessa, a jewel on the Black Sea 
Odessa has long been a symbol of resistance to authority, home to a thriving artistic community and some of the most beautiful architecture anywhere, an eclectic mix of modern neoclassicism and Art Nouveau with more than a few Baroque accents. Buildings are pastel-colored, exquisitely maintained, and captivating. It is a beautiful European city. Now, one year after the beginning of the war, Odessa remains a cultural hub with a cosmopolitan population of around one million. And life does carry on. Even with the war raging further east, the thing is, you never know when Russia may target Odessa or any city with missiles. While I was there, air raid sirens blasted nationwide one night, but there were, mercifully, few rockets. People go to school and work. Cafes and restaurants are busy. Shops are well-stocked. A Ukrainian flag is fixed to the front of every single building, or a facsimile is painted on the exterior, a declaration of resistance and resilience. As you near the port area, the streets are heavily guarded with anti-tank barriers and a very, very heavy military presence. The Odessa port is a prize for both sides, and Ukraine will defend it fiercely. But on the first anniversary, and right around that day, people were very afraid of what may come next. What fresh brutality Russia planned to unleash on the civilian population. And to a person, each one was prepared to stand firmly and resolutely. They would not leave or hide. During my visit, I met with Ukrainian master sculptor Mikhail Reva, known to many as Misha, in one of his several studio and workshop locations in and around Odessa. Misha and Julian are close friends, part of a circle of exceptionally talented artists at the height of their powers who also happen to be great guys. A bear of a man with the warm smile of a contented child, Misha is now 62 and has spent most of his life in Odessa. His father, he tells me, was a Ukrainian Christian, and his mother was Jewish. But Misha himself adheres to no prescribed organized religious practice. Discussing one of his sculptures, which invokes heavy religious and biblical imagery and themes, he draws two enormous arcs in the air and looks skyward, explaining that he believes in a single higher power and rejects religious dogma. From a very young age, Misha showed prodigious artistic talent. A self-described difficult, demanding child, he says that only when he was building or sculpting did he quiet down. From a very young age, his parents nicknamed him the Sculptor. Требовательный ребенок, все время требовал внимания, все время... да, и тут она говорит, и друг ты затих. И когда они подошли к кроватке, я сидел весь в собственном говне и лепил. As a young man, he was one of seven students accepted from 900 applicants across the Soviet Union to study sculpture at the prestigious St. Petersburg Stieglitz State Academy of Art and Design. From day one, he was a star. But with that recognition, he says, comes a huge responsibility. He always felt that his art must have a higher purpose and not just be technically strong. 
Yes. Да. Amazing. Но это это дает очень, как бы, как сказать, это большая ответственность. Big responsibility. Если кто-то мог себе делать какие-то проходные там работы, mm -hmm. там, я не мог. So he couldn't do like a job for money, just, right. just to, he had to, every work had to be really up the highest standard. And it is. Printing war in real time is challenging enough, but to interpret it artistically takes tremendous empathy and discipline. Nothing prepared Misha for how his life was about to change one year ago. As missiles pummeled Odessa in the early days of the Russian attack, he was preoccupied with looking after his family, in particular his elderly mother. It was during this period that he also learned, for the first time, about his mother's wartime trauma as a little Jewish girl in the Soviet Union. When we met, Misha's mother had very recently passed away. He was open about his grief, almost relieved to speak of it. With great pride, he showed me the prototype of a sculpture he had already designed for her grave, a stone candelabra with golden flame. Everything about this piece of art evoked Jewish tradition, particularly in Odessa, where grand candelabras were prized possessions in Jewish homes, even among the poor. Misha was very close with his mother. The war killed her, he says. She was 87, but in good health. But the war brought back the horror, the grief, the destruction from when she was a little girl. He saw her face change to something he had never seen before. Misha shared with me the little he knew about his mother's childhood. Like many Jewish families during World War II, they went as far east in the Soviet Union as possible in order to escape the advancing Nazi murder machine. His mother was named Valentina, his father, Gregory. His maternal grandparents were Peter and Nadezhda. These are very Russian names and very unusual for Jewish people of that era. Misha's parents were raised in Soviet state orphanages which was not uncommon then, nor is it even today. In order to assimilate the Jewish children, they were given Russian names to blend in, to become more Soviet. It is an absolute certainty that Peter and Nadezhda, his grandparents, were not given those names at birth. They were far more likely to have been called Chaim or Dvora. Misha has no idea as to what their names were, their Hebrew names. But there's more. On his deathbed, Misha's grandfather tells him, for the first time, about the horrific fate of his own parents, Misha's great-grandparents. They lived in the Belarusian town of Gomel, which at the turn of the last century had a Jewish population of approximately 20,000, comprising 55% of the town's population. In the summer of 1903, there was a pogrom in Gomel, a particularly vicious pogrom. The parents of Misha's grandfather, Peter, were tied to horses and dragged to their deaths through the streets of Gomel, leaving little Peter, of course, an orphan. 
The years since 2014, when Russia annexed the Crimean Peninsula, have been challenging for Misha. He has lost many relationships with artists in St. Petersburg and family in Crimea, who support Putin's attack on Ukraine. Like most Ukrainians, he is proud that his nation finally earned independence in 1991 and is adamant that present-day Ukraine is European, anti-fascist, and has eradicated all anti-Semitism. It is a new Ukraine, he says, one of progressive, modern values and aspirations. With a twinkle in his eye, he brings up Golda Meir, the former Prime Minister of Israel, who has become something of a legend among modern Ukrainians. The woman whose family fled the virulent anti-Semitism of turn-of-the-century Kyiv for the freedom of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, would likely be floored to see how revered she is in modern Ukraine. But Ukraine today is very different from what it was then. Odessa, for example, is home to 130 nationalities. And like Golda, Misha says, we Ukrainians have a secret weapon. We have no option, just like Israelis. This is our only country, he says. We have all become Ukrainian. Putin, he is certain, wildly underestimated the resolve and resilience of the Ukrainian people, believing that he would march straight through to conquer Kyiv in three or four days. As we now know, that did not happen. But as an artist, this war has challenged Misha to find a way to interpret the death and destruction that surrounds him. He says he likes to think of his art just blending into the environment so that it seems like it was always there. How do you do that in wartime? Misha shows me mangled remains of a missile that missed his country home by a few hundred meters. He salvaged that missile, as he has done with so many of the objects with which he now works, to express the profound pain of this hellish war and destruction. He discusses with me and Julian his grand sculpture, a sort of homage to the war, which will be comprised of ten related pieces, titled The Russian World. The beginning was pain. The okay. pain that was building. Yeah, he wanted to show this pain to, to Europe. What they're going through right now. Yeah, he realized that all this proof in time it will disappear. Yeah, yeah like it was in you know in World War Two in Vietnam, Israeli wars. You know, it's all the same. Yeah, the whole thing, all of all of these, it's made from the tools of destruction. All of it. It's not, you know, no artificial material. These are real. It's real shit, you know. Discarded tanks, pieces of uh, armored vehicles, shells, missiles, mortars. Uh, yes, you name it. Yeah. So the bear. 
So he, because of that, he didn't, he didn't know what the end result would be. He didn't know himself. Yeah, he has big experience of working with different forms, and he began began working with form and with energy. So when did he first conceptualize or start to feel, I have to express this pain in art? When did that moment start? First days, first weeks, first couple of months of war. The first days of war, he really started already. His artistic solution was to find a way to work with this horrible energy of destruction and death. Each fragment and shard of war used in his art, he says, was created by a human being in order to destroy the body and soul of humanity. Yeah, because be- before the war, they never had to deal with stuff like that. It's a to- yeah, totally unknown, you know, un- uncharted territory. So he had to learn and conceptualize and, uh, and see it. Only towards the fall, at, when the fall started, he really knew what he, he wanted to do and what he will do. The beginnings of this project, and what it is called, the Russian world, are an enormous giant bear head and claw being sculpted with thousands of fragments of bullets and shrapnel and missiles and tanks. To see some photos of the work in progress, please go to our website, stateoftelaviv.com. When we spoke over Zoom, a day or so after I had returned to Tel Aviv, Misha again speaks of his mother. I am very careful and do not want to be intrusive, but cannot help but feel that he's reaching or asking for something, something he doesn't even understand. The artist who is applying himself to give form and expression to the brutal war that has overtaken his country struggles, understandably, to do the same with his personal grief. I ask him, gently, if he would like someone to say Kaddish, the Jewish morning prayer, recited daily for a year for the deceased. If he would like someone to say Kaddish or Kaddish in Yiddish for his mother. His response is very emotional. He puts his hand on his heart. I was a touch surprised, frankly, that he knew what the Kaddish prayer is. His eyes were misty, sad, a little lost, and disbelieving. Can you do that? He asked me. Of course, I assure him. I can arrange that. And that's how we got into the whole story about the names of his parents and grandparents, Nadezhda and Peter, and the pogrom. You know, Misha said to me, that Reva, that's his surname, means quarter in Hebrew. I know that, I reply smiling. 
but your father wasn't Jewish, remember? When Vladimir Putin turned 50, Ukrainians were optimistic for the future. The Ukrainian president turned to Misha and asked him to create an appropriate gift for a man of Putin's stature. A man who, as Misha said, Ukrainians hoped would change Russia and be a great reformer. Misha crafted a working sundial that would tell you where on earth you were located at any time, a brilliant metaphor for the promise of Putin. Asked what he would say to President Putin today, given the chance, Misha is all fury. Misha said, he is a killer, a destroyer. If all goes according to plan, Misha's sculptures will be installed in Kyiv at some point in the fall of 2023, the beginning of what he expects will be a cross-Ukraine and Europe tour, a traveling exhibit, bringing the immediate horror to so many more people, and, certainly, awakening in them the deep and ongoing pain of this mad, mad war in Ukraine. Please have a look at our website, stateoftelaviv.com, where we've posted some of these photos and short video clips of Misha the Man and his work in progress. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the State of Tel Aviv and Beyond podcast. It would be great if you would like and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Check us out at stateoftelaviv.com on Substack, where you will have access to our full library of content for a limited time only. We are truly independent. We don't just say it meaning that you will be exposed to views from across the political spectrum at stateoftelaviv.com. Me, I'm all over the place, but generally a solid centrist. State of Tel Aviv is supported by its listeners and readers. Please consider becoming a paid subscriber. Each member makes a huge difference. I'm Vivian Berkovich, signing off from deep inside the state of Tel Aviv. Until next time, stay cool, stay safe, have a great weekend. Shalom, Javier. This is the State of Tel Aviv and Beyond, the podcast that brings you the straight-up, unfiltered story. What's really going down in Israel? I say, Assalamu alaikum. Peace unto thee. Shalom. I'm your host, Vivian Berkovich, former Canadian ambassador to Israel. We're on the street with the folks who live here and have skin in the game. 